With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. <laughs> All good. Hey, everybody. This is Doug Robertson of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution with another edition of the Southern Fried Soccer Podcast. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC, on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now, and I hope that you'll consider subscribing both to this podcast and to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Uh, it's been a long time since I've gotten to do one of these with my good friend Jason Longshore. Uh, today, we're going to talk about Atlanta United's 1-0 loss to the New York Red Bulls on Saturday in both teams' first game in the MLS tournament in Orlando. Uh, Red Bulls' uh, goal came from Florian Velo in the fourth minute. Atlanta United had a few chances to earn a draw, most notably a header from Adam John in the final seconds that was turned away uh, very well by the Red Bulls' goalkeeper. Jason, what were your kind of big-picture thoughts from last night's game? Yeah, it was it was a, a weird game. I think everything in this tournament feels a little weird with the matches early on, especially. This was the first time a team had conceded in the first half. And it was the best moment the Red Bulls had outside of one ball to the back post that Brad Kazan made a great save on Daniel Royer. They came in and did what you expect the Red Bulls to do. They were dangerous in transition. They wasted no time once they regained possession. They went straight to goal. And outside of some transition moments, that was about what they had. Atlanta is a very different team, and it's a team that needs, I think, games under its belt to, to hit its, its stride. And it, it never really found it until – Ezekiel Barco came in in the second half and I thought the team looked better when Adam John came in late because it gave the team a focal point up top. Uh, the intensity was good. The work rate was good. I didn't have any questions about fitness. Uh, Barco didn't start because of a, a knock in training is what we were told and wasn't 90 minutes fit. So outside of that, in terms of just general fitness, which was a big talking point coming into this event, I didn't think it affected Atlanta. They looked a lot fresher late than the Red Bulls did. And, and New York sat back and defended the lead that they had, giving Atlanta some opportunities that they just could not convert on. And the chances were there for Atlanta to, at a minimum, get a point. And I think probably when you look at just overall quality of the game, deserve the win. But when you can't convert your chances, you're not going to win matches. Yeah, there were a few things uh, that I was curious about watching it last night. The defense, there were at least three times, including the first goal, in which there was at least one Red Bulls player just standing wide open in the middle of the field or in the penalty box. Kaku, 
uh, missed a great chance. He came through uh, with no one marking him, but there was also a Red Bull player standing right beside him uh, in the first half who was wide open, either of which probably should have been a goal. And then the Royer goal to the back post that you referenced, uh, he was unmarked on, on a set play, uh, no less. So I don't know if that's a function of not having played in four months, not being able to scrimmage some other team to give some new looks in the past four months, but that kind of stuff has got to get shored up uh, before they yeah, play Cincinnati. I, I think you nailed it. I, I think, you know, it, it's one thing to, to work on things in training. This is a different scenario because you think back to preseason and how many matches Atlanta United played. And it was a big focal point of Frank DeBoer's preparation was to play uh, Elfsberg from Sweden and, and to play Birmingham Legion on the road and to play Leones Negros and to get those games behind closed doors in Florida to prepare because you can work in training, you can do all the fitness work and that part paid off, but the sharpness, and it's not just a physical sharpness, I think it's a mental sharpness as well. You only really get that from playing matches and Atlanta plays a system in the back and up front with a group of three in the back, a group of three up front, that requires a lot of chemistry, and they just did not find it enough last night. I was really, really surprised to see the three-four-three make a return. Um, you know, Atlanta United started in that formation last season. It, it, uh, you can argue if it worked or not, but we all know that it changed once, changed again, until it finally came back to the three-five-two that was so good in 2018. Um, I thought that. There were moments in the first half that Atlanta United was very static. Uh, nobody was moving. Nobody was making runs. When they were able to get forward, they were able to put in some dangerous crosses, which leads to the question, well, if they're going to put in all these crosses, why didn't Adam John start? He is a target man. He can actually get ahead on some of these, which we saw in the final minutes. What did you think of the formation and the personnel choices? I wasn't surprised about the 3-4-3 because it's the way the teams played this season. And, and even last season at times when they were playing more 3-5-2, uh, whenever it was Barco or Pitti playing up with Joseph, it really functioned a little bit more like this 3-4-2-1 that we've seen a lot this season. The problem is you don't have Joseph Martinez. And, and that showed a lot last night in terms of who was going to take up that spearhead kind of role of the three. and it really didn't happen enough. Um, Manuel Castro and Mateo Susetu both felt disconnected from the group. It, it never felt like they developed a, a chemistry with Pitti Martinez. Um, Castro had maybe two of the best chances in the match and wasn't able to do anything with either one of them. Josetu felt invisible and in large stretches. I thought once you got Barco on, once you got Adam John on, it made a little more sense. The three, four, three, I don't think was the issue as much as it was that chemistry. Yeah. The problem though, and I think the, the point that, that you can make about it is the three, four, three is a formation that requires a lot of chemistry. And if you can't get to that point in your preparation, because you can't play matches, maybe you have to simplify things. And I, I thought at the end they did um, crosses They had 15 on the night, seven in the first half, eight in the second. Uh, I'm with you. It's not, it's not going to be something in the run of play without a set piece opportunity where you're getting Robinson and Escobar up. It's not going to be something you're looking for headers on, but if you get the crosses, like we saw to Castro, those crosses on the ground cut back to the top of the 18 or the, the penalty spot, they can be effective. It's something this team's done a lot in its history, but you have to have somebody to put them away. 
And, right. you know, the chances were there even last night in a game that felt disjointed to have enough to win the match. And there wasn't anybody to bury the chances. Yeah, I hope that people don't bang on Castro too much. He is not a natural striker. Nope. He, he is more of a wide player, more of an attacking wide player. He said that's where he prefers to be. But Frank put him in at striker. Um, so the good part about that was he did have two really good chances. He didn't even come close to converting either one of them, but he was there. Mm-hmm. Um, the more he gets those chances, I got to think the higher the probability will increase that he will start to score if he continues at striker. And, and we don't know. Rosetto, I was stunned when I saw the stats, and it said he created two chances. I don't remember either one of them. Uh, part of it is between these uniforms and between the, the poor camera angles at the tournament, a lot of times I was confusing Rosetto or Rosetto and Pitti when they had the ball. Yeah. Because uh, you, you just you cannot see numbers on those jerseys. It's the same as the King Peach. You just can't, they disappear. And then the, the camera angle was so far away that their dark hair and their height and their build and the way they run, they look exactly like the same player. Um, it's not stadium lighting either. I, no, I think that the numbers could have even showed up better if you'd had normal lighting, but at times it felt like the lighting just hit that gold on the back and it was just bright nothingness at times. Right. So yeah, it was, it was awful. Uh, it was difficult. And again, I made this complaint with the King Peach. If Adidas would just outline them in black, a mm-hmm. thick black, you could see everything but they won't do it. Uh, so it looks good when you're five feet away, but beyond that, it's just a shoulder shrug, hands up in the air. All right, uh, here we go. Um, so another interesting choice that I thought uh, was Mo Adams starting over both Eric Rometty and Jeff Lernowitz in the midfield. I don't know if that was a fitness thing, but Frank likes Mo. He started him a few times now. Um, I, I didn't think that Mo played poorly. I didn't think he played uh, you know, I don't think he was a standout. I thought he did the job required. Um, but I was just a little curious your thoughts about that. I, I'm with you. I think Frank really trusts Mo Adams. And I felt this way coming into the season. I, I think we might have talked about it at one point that I thought one player that could be a big surprise this year is Mo Adams. Because, you know, he he's maybe the truest kind of a defensive midfielder that Frank wants because – he can sit back and he can break up plays and he can get stuck into a tackle. He can do the dirty work. But as we saw on the, the best chance of the night to Manuel Castro, Adams can get forward and, and play with the ball at his feet. And it was something that I saw him gain some confidence last year with Atlanta United too, when he was getting those minutes to stay sharp, he was getting a lot of touches and, and the knock on him out of Chicago was that he's not good enough with the ball at his feet. I've seen enough to say that's completely incorrect. I think he gives you maybe the most mobility out of of that group that you mentioned, and he can do both sides of the job. Um, Gained possession seven times. He had that one great chance created. He got a tackle. He got a couple interceptions. You know, he, he did the job. I thought he was fine. And, you know, when you go back to it, if, if that chance is converted from Castro, we're, we're talking really differently about Mo Adams today. Yeah. Yeah, he could, I'm looking at the stats. He completed 83% of his passes. Heinemann, the other defensive midfielder, completed 79%. Uh, you know, those are both at least 10 percentage points lower than what Nagby was doing last year. But Nagby was doing a lot more shorter passes a lot of the time. They, right. they do it, the it jobs was, differently. Yeah. So yes. you should, they shouldn't be compared. 
Um, two other players that I thought uh, played well, uh, George Bellow going forward, I thought played well. I thought defensively he had a couple of lapses in the first half, but he showed his value going forward. I thought Brooks Lennon had a fantastic game, uh, both offense and defense. Uh, completed 85% of his passes, created two chances, three tackles, um, just could run all day and all night. Uh, I thought they played well. I agree. I think the wingbacks were both good. And and with both of them, I mean, you're you're asking them to get forward, impact the game in the attack, and you're asking them to do enough defensively. You know, George Bellow, to get to that next level, has to improve a little bit more defensively. It's, it's the same conversation that we were having uh, about with this much experience as a professional around Alfonso Davies, where, you know, he started to play these kinds of roles. And it gives him a lot of freedom to get forward, but he has to be good enough defensively to keep moving up the ladder. I thought Bello was was much better in the second half defensively. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a it looked like there had been a conversation that had been had about it that you know he needed to be sharper. His awareness in picking people up I thought was really good in the second half. Lennon is just a, a freak when it comes to his fitness. I mean, he was constantly up and down that wing and making it difficult. We didn't see Jason Pondant really do anything in the attacking half because Lennon kept him on his heels throughout the night. Brooks was good. Um, I, I think the outside, the, the wing backs in the shape, it's something that Atlanta can really take advantage of a lot of teams with Bello, with Lennon. And then when you have a player like Mulraney to bring on late with even more speed to run at tired legs, Frank has to like the options he has on the outside. Yeah, I thought uh, Moraney provided a spark, too, when he came in. Um, in 18 minutes, he had one shot on goal. Uh, didn't create any chances, but one, two fouls. Uh, his speed is, is a gigantic factor. Going back to the fourth, to the 3-4-3 uh, three, three for a second, I was a little bit surprised, only because Frank has stressed this so much, the ability to change formations within a game, that you didn't see Atlanta United go with four at the back to get another person into the attack with the fullbacks pushed up high. I know you have to guard against the counter, but at this point, a one to nothing loss is the same as a two to nothing loss, as opposed to getting a draw. Were you a little bit surprised about that? Not really because of the way that they, they handled it. If you go back and look late, a lot of times, I mean, really late, everybody except for Miles Robinson was pushing up, but even in the second half, you saw Fernando Meza really have free license to step forward. And that created you know, what would essentially be like two center backs staying home and Miles Robinson and Escobar. We know Franco Escobar is going to step forward as well, and he did the same. And when he went, Mesa stayed. I, I think they found other ways to get numbers forward. So you didn't really need to go to the line of four, which might have kept the outside backs home a little bit more. They were very risky. I mean, as the night went on, they risked a lot because I thought it became kind of obvious about midway through the second half that the Red Bulls didn't have a lot left in the tank and were more willing to sit back and put numbers behind the ball. They even went to a line of five at the very end that we typically don't see them do. It worked for them, but they conceded a lot to Atlanta, and Meza and Escobar took advantage and just kept going further and further into the formation. I have to point out that we did get the customary Escobar yellow card on a very curious decision to drag down Daniel Royer about 60 yards from goal. I'll tell you where that came from. No, but I'll tell you where that came from because we were talking about this on the call. Um, the transition for the Red Bulls, the first part of the first half before the hydration break, anytime that play happened when somebody turned and was able to get through the middle third, they were running free. 
if you go back and look at the two yellow cards, Escobar and Impiti Martinez, they were both in that segment after the hydration break and before halftime where I thought it was an obvious instruction, do not let them turn and run. If they get past you, you have to foul, no questions asked. And both of those came in those kind of scenarios. Uh, do you think we're going to see any kind of tweak, maybe moving Rosetto underneath the striker, maybe going with two strikers for this next game at Cincinnati? Because, I mean, Rosetto has quality, but he, he really just looked a little bit lost uh, on Saturday. Yeah, it was a different role for him. Um, you go back to his time in Brazil, he typically played as more of a, a number eight in, in the midfield as opposed to even a number 10 or, or part of a front three. So it was different. And I thought he was naturally dropping pretty deep and even off to the right side to try to find the ball and find the game. I think the big questions for Thursday are Ezekiel Barco, how much does he have? Does everybody come out of this okay? You know, is there anybody who's, who's winded, anybody who's tired that you have to replace? And you've got options, but Barco for me is the number one question. If he's able to go, that's going to affect what you do up top. I think in this match, you know, maybe I'm, I'm just looking back at what happened in the league match with these two teams and Adam John started and I thought everything kind of revolved around him well as a traditional number nine, if you have Barco and Pitti behind him, I think that can work. And then you have Castro and Josetu to come off the bench and give you, maybe, maybe it's a little more comfortable for them in that role as they're trying to blend into the team a little bit, takes a little bit of the pressure off. Uh, I, I thought Adam John did enough to get the start on Thursday. If it's a competition right now, I thought John looked lively when he came on and not just because of the header, but just his work and, it seemed to simplify the attack a little bit more. And right now you're still in kind of a preseason mode with games and minutes. So the, the simpler you can make it for as long as you can, the better. And I thought Pitti Martinez uh, ran his, his legs off uh, on Saturday. When he got over on that left side and could just stay on that left side instead of drifting centrally, I thought he was a much more dangerous uh, weapon for Atlanta United. I'm curious if you're going to see him kind of staying in that left channel for the most part against Cincinnati. Well, that's where it can get back to, you know, with, with I think simplifying that front three where Pitti has the freedom to come in when the game calls for it, but you like to, to have him on his left side where it's comfortable for him to flare out wide if that's where the space is. And you know, he can deliver quality ball from there. I mean, he created four chances he had the two, two shots on target. One was a free kick that he hit well, but right at Jensen. The other, he didn't really catch cleanly. He's best in that half space on the left side where it's not as a true winger, but it's kind of in between the outside back and the center back. And he puts people in difficult positions. Mm -hmm. He earned five free kicks. I'm blown away that the Red Bulls didn't pick up a yellow card with five fouls committed on Pitti and you know, the, the fouls that Escobar and, and Pitti earned yellows for were the same kind of thing that we saw a lot in the second half where Pitti would beat one and get grabbed or get dragged down, and there was never anything to change that. And that's the, the frustrating thing because part of, you know, the game within the game in these, these kind of scenarios is when you have a player like Pitti who can beat people on the dribble consistently and starts doing it and starts earning free kicks – the next step is you put people in danger of getting a red. And if you're not going to show the yellow initially, then people are just going to keep fouling and it's just right. going to be the same thing. Pitti, for whatever reason, 
And it, I don't think it's because he does have a few words with the referees from time to time. For whatever reason, he hasn't gotten that superstar aura right. in this league where he gets those cards that, that others have. And yeah. it's frustrating. You can see it on his face sometimes. Yeah. And putting him centrally, like as a striker, which he was a little bit the first half, uh, as I tweeted, I know he scored on a header last year, but winning headers is not his deal. And, you know, beating center backs to a ball over the top is not his deal. So keeping him on the left where he can come back and get the ball, get a little bit of space, whipping those crosses, I think is a much better use. I'm going to be really curious to see if that comes true against Cincinnati. So now having watched Red Bulls and I guess having watched a little bit of the next game or having read about it this morning, can Atlanta United finish one or two in this group and get an automatic berth into the knockout round? Because Columbus looked fantastic, but I don't know how much of that was them looking really good and Cincinnati just being really, really poor again. I, Columbus was one of my, was my dark horse pick, I guess, to win this whole thing. I really like their roster. I really like what they're doing. Yeah, Columbus looked really good after they got that first goal. I thought, and, and we were in the midst of our full-time report, so I wasn't watching in super close detail. I thought it was a pretty even game up to that point, and Cincinnati mentally fell apart after conceding the, the free kick to Zeller Ion. Uh, Jossie's artist is going to score a ton of goals with this team because of, of the, the people he has behind him. The question for me about Columbus is in a format like this, they don't really have any cover for Nagby and Artur, and neither one is a traditional number six, a defensive midfielder. It reminds me a little bit of LAFC and some of the complaints about LAFC last year where in that Seattle game, I, I know it was a big part of the conversation in the broadcast, you didn't have anybody who would make that tackle when it needed to be, commit that foul that needed to be to break up a play and that's not Nagby or Artur's game. So I want to see them against the Red Bulls to get a good comparison of where Columbus is. Cincinnati, they're just not there yet. And we really can't expect them to be there because Yop Stom has now had 90 minutes with this team and probably two and a half weeks or so of, of real training with this team. They're mentally fragile and it showed last night because after a good 20 minutes or so, they looked awful at the end the worst we've seen from anybody I think Atlanta can finish one or two um I think the Red Bulls are gonna have to get something against Columbus uh Atlanta's got to beat Cincinnati and they've got to get a, a draw I think four points gets you through even if you are in third place in this group and it could be one of those groups based off what we've seen that you know sometimes you get a World Cup group where you have one team that gets beat up by everybody and then everybody else is you know kind of splitting the difference. And that might be what happens here. Three points might get you through. I think four points will get you through. And you can get a win against Cincinnati that starts you on that road. Columbus's second goal, if you didn't see it, uh, there was nobody within five yards of a Giassi's artist. And he was standing at the top of the penalty box. It was just horrific man marking. And I think Yap Stom is going to quickly realize that you cannot play Kendall Waston and Harris Madunian together in the center of the formation because there is just a lack of speed. And, and frankly, with Madunian, a defensive lack of awareness. He just can't handle that role in that position because he's, he's so slow. You gotta, uh, he's great with you the ball at his feet. But, yeah. I mean, I don't know if he's as good enough with a ball at his feet that he warrants – you're basically giving up two positions for one just to keep him on the field. 
It's the um, Andrea Pirlo conversation, except Harris Madunian is not Andrea Pirlo no. with the ball at his feet. But you, you look back at how Philadelphia protected him last year, and they got a lot out of it. They had a good season. But you had uh, Jamiro Montero and Alejandro Bedoya on either side of him in that diamond to protect him and cover for him and let him be the fulcrum in the buildup play. I don't think Cincinnati's figured that out yet. And, and you're going to have to have somebody do the running for him like we saw Seattle in the past where Christian Roldan did the running for Osvaldo Alonso as he was getting a little bit older. You got to have somebody protect Madunian if you're going to get anything out of him. Otherwise, you've got you to change it up. And you've seen it with Toronto and Michael Bradley. Same thing. But they have Osorio and Delgado yeah, who will right. do that work for him. Yeah, you've got to – if you have a player who is that player in your build-up play, you have to have others who can do the work for them to get the best out of that player. Other news this Sunday morning, uh, the game between Toronto and D.C., which I uh, was looking forward to watching because D.C. has several former Atlanta United players on it, including Yamil Assad and Julian Russell, was postponed because of uh, positive COVID tests, um, which is could be, I should say could be, a troubling sign for the remainder of this tournament. What did you make of this? Yeah, we've got to get more information on this. Um, what was reported was a, a positive test that has not been confirmed as of yet and an, unconf or an un inconclusive test on the Toronto side. Uh, the D.C. one's concerning because, you know, if it's a false positive, okay, we've seen that happen in this tournament. If it's not, D.C.'s been there since July 3rd, and there has to be a lot of questions asked about what could have happened here where was the breakdown? Because up to this point, we haven't seen any issues yet with spread within the bubble. And that question has to be asked now. If, if safety is the number one concern, and I, I truly believe it is. I don't think this league is acting recklessly. They have a lot of people advising them on the right ways to do this. You have to get the answers as to what happened with the DC one. But first, you have to confirm it. And, and that's the number one challenge, as we're seeing nationwide with testing. You know, the accuracy is a big problem area at the moment, and you have to get this solved for anything to function, let alone a professional sports league. And of the teams that you've seen so far uh, in the tournament, there's still games to be played. Who has impressed you most? I really liked Philadelphia. Uh, Philadelphia with, you know, we talked about Madunian and replacing him with Jose Martinez. That was one that I wondered what it would do to their diamond. Uh, it was fine. And, and Martinez is more of a true defensive midfielder as opposed to that, you know, possession guy to build up the attack. So Bedoya and Montero were a little more free to go forward and it changed the personality of the group. And to be able to do what they did without Sergio Santos, without one of their strikers, they were the most impressive to me. Um, in general, the tournament's been entertaining because the intensity has been good. Teams have been going for these games. Uh, the Orlando-Miami game, you know, was sloppy, but you had a late goal. You had some drama. Seattle-San Jose, you didn't have any goals, but you had 15 shots on target. It was just stuff happening all over the place in that match, and that's partially the way San Jose plays. I've enjoyed it, and I hope that it can go from being intense and chaotic and fun to – played really well as teams get more comfortable and develop that chemistry and develop that cohesion because that's the number one thing that's lacking. You come in without preseason games, these are the kind of games you're going to get. Take a quick pause to congratulate Chris Winkler and former Atlanta United goalkeeper coach Aaron Hyde on Aston Villa's win today. They're, 
not yet relegated. They, they still have life. Uh, so congrats to them. Um, and also just want to say how nice it is to get to talk to you again, Jason. Uh, I miss being on Friday show on soccerdownhere.net. I assume it's because I've already gotten two trophies and y'all just don't want me competing anymore. <laughs> and the predictions contest, and, you know, that's totally understandable. If you can't beat me, you just change the rules. Mm -hmm, uh, totally. No, <laughs> I, I'll, I'll tell you what it was. It was me being at Mercedes-Benz Stadium on Friday uh, in our normal time slot, trying to figure out how we were going to do a broadcast remotely from the broadcast booth, uh, not our usual broadcast booth. We were in the national TV broadcast booth because it's a lot bigger and we could socially distance, but trying to figure out the logistics of it and, and pre and post game stuff. And it's been a big challenge. Um, we got it done and, and we've, we've had a broadcast and we're looking forward to our first 9 a.m. broadcast on Thursday. And it's going to be an early wake up call for everybody concerned, but SDH, the hours have been all over the place lately. Time slots have been much in flux. Uh, we'll get you on on Wednesday because Wednesday show will actually be a normal show. Oh, so now you want that. me? Okay, as long as you put an asterisk. Well, you're by trying this to make me feel bad now, so you know. I mean, I see how it is. As long as you put an asterisk by this year's Mucha Plata Cup and Listener Shield stuff to uh, just verify that I did not get to pick. I think this whole game. season's going to have an asterisk by it, Doug. <laughs> so the Mucha Plata Cup is right there with everything else. And is everybody, you know, in your family, everybody safe and happy during these weird times? Yeah. I mean, we're all doing the best we can, um, trying to be smart, trying to limit being out around uh, large groups of people and, and just trying to, to keep moving forward as best we can. Um, you know, every time it looks like we've got a little bit of a – a light at the end of the tunnel and the clouds come back, but you know, we're not going to stop pushing forward and getting this done and finding whatever this new normal that everybody keeps talking about is. Yeah. Well, uh, what do you have upcoming, Jason? Uh, we're back on SDH in a, in a normal slot for Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. So nine o'clock, um, obviously we won't have a show on Thursday cause I'll be a little busy. Uh, nine to 11. Uh, you can actually watch SDH now, uh, at least watch me and John try to figure this stuff out on Twitch, uh, twitch.tv slash soccer down here. And you can listen on the app and on the website, soccerdownhere.net. I would be incredibly impressed if you could both do the soccer down here broadcast and the analysis of the game at 9 a.m. on Thursday morning. I'm just hoping I'm awake to do the analysis <laughs> for the game at 9 o'clock in the morning. I'm going to have to get a couple extra Coke energies in the morning in me to be ready to go. Uh, sponsor alert. Um, and I'm how trying. I'm, I've been trying hard for a while to get that sponsorship. And how do people find you on social media? Uh, at Longshoe. And, um, you know, we're, if you have questions about everything going on, and I've been trying to keep up with it from back at the beginning of this with uh, the leagues in Europe and keep up with protocols and how it's going on. If there's, you know, ever any questions that pop up, don't hesitate to reach out and tweet at me and we'll all try to figure it out. All right. Well, Jason, again, it's been wonderful talking to you. I've missed this. I hope that we get to do this from now until the end of December, uh, at least once a week. Um, I hope you good people have enjoyed the Southern Fight Soccer podcast. Uh, again, you can find me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC, on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now. Atlanta United 1-0 losers to New York Red Bulls. They will play again on Thursday morning at 9 a.m. against Cincinnati, which was beaten 4 to nothing by Columbus late Saturday night. This has been Southern Fried Soccer.
The AJC's trusted veteran political voices, Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast, subscribe to the AJC. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years, and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Constitution.